My name is Jan Welch, and welcome to episode 12 of the Then and Now Blading podcast featuring Matthias Knoll. Matthias is the man behind both Parasite and Disroyal Distributions. In this interview, we talk about those bands in detail, we talk about his history within speed skating, and how he actually got into selling skating products out of his trunk, which transitioned into Parasite and then USD. So we cover all that history. We talk about a lot in this interview. It's really interesting. I think you should enjoy it. If you do, make sure and hit the like button. Subscribe to this channel if you haven't already, and hit the bell icon to be notified of all new uploads. And leave any comments below and share this episode with your friends. All that really helps me out to get this video seen by people out there. And if you want to follow me on social media, I have links to my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in the description below. And you can also support this channel if you enjoy all these episodes and different shows I do through Patreon. And for as little as $3 a month, you can become a Patreon member and receive exclusive access to videos not available on this channel. You'll also have access to ad-free videos of the podcast, the Uncut series, and the vaults all on the Patreon page. And I have a link in the description below for that. I also have a donation page below if you want to go that route. Anyway, let's get started with episode 12 of the Then and Now Blading podcast with Matthias Knoll. For this episode of the Then and Now Blading podcast, I welcome Matthias from Powerslide. Hello, Matthias. How are you? Hey, Jan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All good. Yeah, all good here. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've talked to you in person. Last last time I was in at Powerslide was about four years ago when I came to visit you and I was really sick staying at the yeah. hotel there um but a lot's changed since then we had a little you know low period around that time obviously with the pandemic everything's changed um but i want to go back to your history a little bit when did you start skating yourself i started when i was six so you know well i started with six in a club before i was you know with five i was skating a little bit Back when you had the, you know, the roller skates, it was all on quads, the cheap adjustable metal skates, basically, that's how I started. And with six, I went to a local club for like, uh, you know, a testing and, you know, after a week in a, a holiday vacation, then, you know, I decided to stay there. So since six, I'm skating basically first on quads and then 90, yeah, in the 90, I think nine, 90, I changed to inline skates. And how did you decide to start skating at six? Was it your parents who put you into it or did you do it on your own? No, it was actually the coach was a school friend of my father. And my father was, you know, always into sports. And, you know, so I tried every sports a little bit, you know, from tennis to skiing to cross country skiing to running to badminton, whatever. So I did like everything. And this is, uh, I played handball and soccer, like, you know, all the boys. So, but skating was just something, yeah, which, you know, fitted me most and I liked most. So it's like, you know, I got stuck there and yeah, you know, it was uh, in the beginning, I was not the tallest guy. So I was a little tiny guy and it was, you know, the first years I was always losing against the bigger guys. So it was kind of frustrating, but then, you know, it got better and better and catching up. What was, uh, when you switched to inline, was there a lot of people doing inline at that point or were you one of the first people in Germany to transition to inline speed skating? Yeah, actually I was pretty much the first here in our club. We had one guy who was also like on inline skates. He was a short tracker. And, but I actually was the first guy in Germany to win a race on inline skates. 
So that, you know, when it came out, it was like, ah, no, a lot of the roller skaters actually were against the inline skates. So it was like, ah, no, they are not faster and they are not so good. And so I, I was doing also some ice skating in the winter, some ice speed skating. So I was kind of used to a little bit this style of skating. So I tried quite first and it, I kind of liked it. It's a little bit different with quads. I would say quads when you go on a corner and you have no grip, then you're sliding a little bit more. It's more a little spectacular, I would say. With inline skate, actually the corners is where you went fast. I would say on the straights, inline skates are not fastest and quads if you have you know good wheels. But on the in the corners there, where you make up with the inline skates, you can go around like rails. So the corners where you really make it up. So, and the first race actually I won was like a, a up and downhill race. So it was a lot of corners. And so there was quite good with the inline skates and uh, you know, I won on this and then everybody wanted to have skates and you know, changed on it. And as I was selling the stuff out of the car, it was quite a good time then coming for me. Was inline skating um, the reason quads kind of disappeared for a long time? Uh, yes and no, for, you know, for, for racing, yeah, you know, inline skating replaced it. Uh, there were years where we had at the world championships where we had, you know, uh, world championships where races for roller skates and inline skates in one competition. So you did it the same day you did inline and quad races. And then, you know, everybody found out, you know, inline is more fast and more interesting. So it got changed. And so I think, you know, for speed skating, yes, you know, inline killed the roller skating and the quad skating. On the, on the lifestyle, I think, you know, it went down before, you know, inline came out because, you know, the roller disco seam in the 80s, you know, it went down and then it, it was there, but it was not there as before, you know, so. What was your first pair of inline skates? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was actually a speed skate from Raps. It was a Dutch brand and a very low cut and not so supportive. So it was quite hard for me. So I remember and uh, it was quite hurting too. And, uh, but I did in the very beginning, I did some tests for consumer reports in Germany. And so I was testing at this time, there was like the first skates and the, the best skates in the test were the Rollerblade Lightning and the Roaches LIX back then. So like a hard uh, skate boot. And actually then I, I kept the, the Roaches LIX boot like a hard boot and put a little bit some grind plates on it and a little sink so I can start to doing little aggressive skating too with the guys here. And what year was that that you tried aggressive skating? Uh, that was basically 94, yeah, 94 when we started, we had a lot of the, the young kids in our, you know, in our, our parking lot and a lot of the kids were skating and, you know, as I was okay on skates, uh, you know, I was doing okay, so I can do like a 50-50 grind and I remember I was, you know, so it was okay, I did like 180s, 360s a little bit and then when I came, I was traveling to China and 10 days later, I came back and all the kids were doing like, you know, top sides and soul grinds and all these other things. And I said, okay, that's the time for me to back out then. So these guys really improved fast and I got stuck in my 50-50 grinds and stuff like that. That's this. awesome. Yeah. Hey, at least you tried. When's the last time you put on a pair of aggressive skates? You yeah. ever try them on? Yeah, I've tried them on. Yeah, I've tried them on, I'm, but I skate around with them, but I'm not really grinding them too much, to be honest. I'm right now. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, right now it's more. I'm still doing speed skating a little bit, like one, two times a week, and uh, we play hockey. Like we try to play hockey once a week. So, yeah. 
That's very cool. Do you used to race against Dante Muse? Yep, Dante. Used to race against Dante and Poir. If you ask me one of the best skaters in the world, Dante is probably this guy where you say, yep, this is one of the most talented and best skaters in the world, you know. He was a, just a natural skater. You know, his brother, Tony, was really good too, but he was more like the hard training guy. And Dante was just sitting around and, you know, laying in the sun and then come back and win worlds and gold medals everywhere. And he was, you know, I saw some moves from him, which like, you know, when you not see it live, you wouldn't believe it. You know, crashing in a border at full sprint at 500 meters, turning 360 and, you know, still winning the race. So stuff like this, when you didn't see it, it's like, no, that's not possible. So yeah, he's Dante, like, definitely amazing skater. He's yeah. also, as far as I can tell, one of the first speed skaters to actually start aggressive skating later I on in life so. and then getting really good at it. Yeah. Um, did, did you ever follow his aggressive skating? I followed a little bit and, you know, every year we ride a little bit with, with Dante. He asked for some stuff and, you know, he's, He's looking for some stuff so yeah I'm, I'm always a little bit in contact with him and yeah he's like because he was so natural and so good you know when he switched to aggressive he was like okay he can do it really well so yeah no these uh the whole family like uh they are blessed skaters yeah and they have the whole family owns a bunch of skating rinks in des moines iowa and Dante has a little skate park at, at his rink which is pretty cool i went there a few years ago and hung out with him and the local yeah. guys um, you had mentioned that you were selling products out of your car. When did you start doing that? And what were you selling at first? Well, it, it happened when I was 18, you know, I was about to finish school and my father was sick and he died from cancer when I was just 18. So then my mother was saying, uh, well, there's less money and, you know, I cannot finance you every weekend going to the races. So then I started to do, you know, some jobs, you know, carrying out flowers and working here and there. And then finally I said, well, it's not really working with training, school and everything. So I decided to basically get a job where I can combine sports and, and selling and making some money. So I decided actually, you know, when I was 18 to start something, buying, you know, wheels and bearings and boots uh, from other brands and then sell it at the races directly where I was going anyway. So that was, yeah, that was for the first time. And, you know, I was from, you know, from racing, I got, you know, some contacts and, you know, I got some hyper wheels from USA for racing and I got some bond skates from Australia, you know, roller, a roller house was quite big there and some French brands. So I was basically going every weekend to the races selling there and then racing also there. So that's how I made the money and how I started the whole thing. And then how did you get into starting to sell aggressive inline products? Well, this was uh, when I basically in 94, uh, it was like the decision for me, I got a offer, you know, to work for Hyper in Europe. So, and, uh, and I was thinking, yeah, work for Hyper, but I was, there was also, we can see that, you know, inline skating is growing in Europe. So at this time there was a decision, okay, let's do something of my own or, you know, work for somebody as, you know, marketing and sales. So then I decided to do it of my own and I got an old friend, Stefan. Uh, he was working for a computer company. He was more the financial guy and, you know, like the organization guy and asked him if he would be down to do something. So then we started basically 
power slide in 94 and this was like a it was quite a hard decision because oh, instead of going to the world championships i went to the ispo trade show to you know meet all the suppliers and getting it started but it was just the beginning of the you know of the skating boom basically and from my contacts you know it was like uh yeah we got quite some interest in the aggressive and you know hyper back then you know they they owned all the brands also for aggressive and as we couldn't get the hyper real brand for for distributing in germany uh, we got senate 976 and you know all the tribe brands and then we got later realm and you know all the brands you know linked to hyper and from this you know traveling to usa and contacting to the aggressive scene uh we got quickly into all the other brands too and yeah actually i enjoyed really i would say the lifestyle and the you know the image of the aggressive skating and uh so that was really in the beginning we really focused most of aggressive and actually where i come from you know speed skating we kind of dropped a little bit and it was more aggressive and yeah, it was pretty much fun. And the, you know, the skaters were super nice and the whole industry was nice and there was a good vibe and, you know, it was booming and everybody was happy. So that's how we got along. And, you know, then we got to meet all the other guys from, from Senate, you know, Arlo who got involved in UST and Shane who was involved in UST making the artwork, the logos and, you know, running the team and all this so that's you know how everything basically came together in the beginning so when you first started your own brand you started power slide first to distribute those brands and then you started upside down next uh it was we started to be power slide was just a distribution company in the beginning so in 94 95 96 we just distributed brands from mainly from the us so i guess we had about 50 brands we do you know from Scribe, from, you know, all the little aggressive brands, but also like, you know, bearings and stuff like this. So we were basically only a distributor. We started in 96, we started making our own protective uh, under power slide. So this was our own first thing. And then, you know, in 97, already the market went quite down, you know, for aggressive and everything. So it was, like I said, the first big drop. And then actually a lot of the brands, you know, dropped out and, you know, stopped step by step. And so we were left, okay, what we do, you know, we had a uh, really hard time too. Uh, sales were dropping hard and the warehouse was full of stuff. Nobody wanted anymore. And at this time it was not so easy to get rid of it. You know, you just had your dealers and the, and the shops. And if they didn't order anymore, you could not go directly or sell over the internet. So it was quite a tough time. And so we decided actually to make uh, UST as our first brand. So this was basically launching 97. And it was always a dream because, you know, the guys from, from Senate always wanted to make skates too, but they were never allowed from, you know, from the boss to make skates because they were afraid they lose all the business for the OEM wheels. And, but uh, yeah, especially Brooke, Alu and these guys always wanted to make skates and, you know, uh, Brooke was running ads already in Daily Bread, you know, Empire Skate Company coming and stuff like this. So, but it never happened. So, but then the guys were all like, let's make skates. So that's why, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, Arlo and these things were supporting also UST from the beginning. And it just came together that, yeah, UST was our first brand. And uh, there was a German company 
they were trying to make aggressive skates and the skate was looking okay. And there was a skate involved, Manuel Weschenbach. And then we said, okay, let's, you know, let's take this over and we make USD. And, and from there, you know, we made some designs and went to some events, made some prototypes and, you know, got the, the skaters on board and yeah, came out first, you know, with a skate called Democles, which was basically an open mold, which is a razor cult with just a different cuff and a different sole plate. And that was the very first. And then from this, we started to develop uh, the new skate, which was, you know, then the, the throne skate. The throne skate that you developed back then, that was based off like a meddler boot? Yeah, that was basically, you know, Manuel Weschenbach, you know, a skater who was doing it for a German company. And they, they had her skate and they, they had a little bit different yeah, visions and thinking, I would say. And, but they said, okay, yeah, we are not planning to do like a worldwide thing. And we said, oh, we, you know, we would have some people on board who could do it probably better. And so we got, you know, the design reworked and then also fitting the, the idea from us was to fit, you know, the different brands on it for, you know, customization, because back when, you know, the, you bought an aggressive skate and it was like, you know, how you bought it. And then you customize it with your grind plates, with your soul kit and everything. And back when there was already, you know, Senate was having the frames and 5050 having the frames. So our idea was, you know, to put those frames and those, you know, frame companies on our throne skates too. So that was also the good thing, you know, to get 5050 involved with Chess and, uh, and Lawrence and, uh, you know, and also like Senate. So this was really, you know, that's why also the team was more or less the USD team was a split between 50-50 guys and, and Senate guys, basically. Well, that makes sense. I saw some old photos of some old Parasite skates and saw one, or old USD skates, and saw one of them had a, came with a Senate 30 millimeter frame, that kind of yeah. short lasted uh frame technology they did what was your opinion on that skate and why did it or that frame and why did it fail uh well it was that was a time the market went already down i would say and they actually was asking a little bit for help if we can do you know a one model with a 30 millimeter frame and a little bit wider to push the whole thing uh, it's, I think it's always very, very hard if you come out with a new technology and the world is not used to it. And uh, yeah, it was, I think from the feedback, I remember, you know, the wheels were more stable and it was nice, but uh, they were, you know, more stable, but at the same time, also harder to handle and to carve and to maneuver. So I think and a little bit more heavy. And so it's like, yeah. And then you need a special frame for it, which only Senate made. And so it's always, you know, having one thing special, we know it's not easy and we had our failures too. Right. Um, what, okay, back to USD, the name originally was upside down and then you changed it to USD. How long yeah. did it last as upside down and why did you end up rebranding it? Uh, it was upside down. We named it upside down because we wanted to turn the industry a little bit upside down by, you know, having getting different brands together. And so when we made our first, you know, booth at the ISPO, we put like the whole booth upside down. So when you went into the room, you everything was upside down. So you know, it was like a room with a table and like uh, you know everything inside. So that was you know a little bit the marketing. So we turn everything upside down, and then we were talking, yeah. 
mainly it was, you know, Shane, I would say he was saying, ah, upside down doesn't sound as good, but, you know, upside down is USD is super nice. And, you know, let's make it USD, which is shorter anyway. And then, you know, we can call the universal skate design because the idea, you know, to fitting more brands and more frames on it is just universal. So let's call it universal skate design. So it was basically Shane driving it. And then he was also doing the, you know, the logos for it. And I remember him and Arlo was battling the logos out and, you know, everybody reworked the logo from the other a little bit until they were good. And this was quite, it's still one of my favorite logos, like the old Phoenix logos, you know, welcome to the Terra Dome and stuff like. So yeah, they, they put really a lot of details on it. And yeah, so basically it was like Shane and the guys, you know, saying, well, we could do better than upside down. I definitely like USD is nice and short. Um, yeah. And like you said, universal skate design definitely encompasses everything you guys have done. What was the first or what was the second brand you had after USD? Uh, I think the second brand we actually did was Kaiser. So Kaiser was the next brand and it happened a little bit because uh, in 98, I think it was 98, uh, Salomon called us and say, hey, we have here a new idea for a new frame system called uh, UFS. So, and they wanted to have brands join in from the beginning. So uh, Salomon had the patent for it, for the UFS frames, but they asked us as USD and 5050 uh, was also part of the you know first team like to have the UFS frames. So they asked us to join in and to push the whole concept. So they were the first basically to come with it, you know, patent it and design it. And then, you know, we were allowed to use it as an open patent for all the brands, which are basically, yeah, take care of the industry. So they, you know, Solomon didn't allow it to any Chinese brands who were copying skates. So they only allowed it to really brands which were inside in the industry and supporting skating and, you know, having teams and, you know, running, running the, the industry basically. So that's think... why. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that's why, that's why, you know, when they came together, so that's why we designed Kaiser as a next thing as a UFS frame too. And the first was normal frames, but then the UFS frames right after. So that was a Kaiser stream frame. And this was our second brand basically. So Kaiser has been around now for over 20 years. Kaiser's, yeah, quite a long going brand all the way. Yeah. So, you know, we, we went through many different frames, I would say, you know, the first one was uh, very similar, like the Senate frame. So like we're still with the adapter plate. And then the first one, the UFS one, the first UFS aftermarket frame was a stream one with a, you know, the big Kaiser on the side. So that was really the first UFS aftermarket frame. Cool. So, and from there, yeah, we, we quite had some frames and some tries and some errors and yeah, still going. Do you think that UFS is a perfect system? Do you think it's going to be the standard for like in the future or will that ever change the frame standard? Well, is it a perfect system for current skating? No, I don't think so. I think it was good back when. And, but right now I think UFS should be modified or should be changed, but it's almost impossible to do because every brand would need to change all the molds and you know all the skates and all the setups. I think the position could be a little bit different right now to, you know, accompany better, you know, the different, you know, uh, yeah, sizes of frames and setups. So 
a lot of times, you know, the mounting bolt is now in the way for if you want to have, you know, special setups. And so it was a little bit one of the ideas. That's why we said UFS is not perfect and let's try something new. That was a little bit the base for the Aeon skate. So we said, okay, UFS is a standard and it should always be, but let's try something which is um, out of the standard and, you know, has probably some, I would say some benefits from it, from being lower, from being lighter and from being, you know, a different skate. That's good. That's actually a question I was going to ask you was about the Aeon skate. Uh, and who came up with that concept for the Aeon skate? Uh, well, it was, we had, it was me, you know, having it in different segments. And then I remember I was running it to our, I would say, aggressive team designer and the people in the office here. What do you guys think about a, a one piece system? And, you know, everybody was smashing me and saying, no, we're not doing it. We're not going against UFS and stuff like this. So it's like, okay. So I, I kept it in, on the table. I asked one year later and then, you know, half of the guy was positive about it. And then where we started it and then actually uh, really, yeah, some of the, you know, like Kenneth and the designers really got on board and really liked the idea and were also pushing forward for it. So, but it was, uh, I think it was a little bit of a luck too, because at this time the industry changed a little bit, you know, before it was really, uh, the industry was all about, you know, uh, yeah, the hardcore market and you cannot, can only have, you know, uh, small wheels and then it changed already with the power plating a little bit to the bigger wheels and the, you know the skaters being more open and stuff like this so I think we got a little bit lucky with the release time that the people were more open for to try something new but still it was a quite a big risk to go against UFS you know and saying you know this is a standard UFS and we're doing it but here's something totally different which we think it's really good too so for the Aeon skates, you have several different models for size, wheel sizes. Do those all have different molds for each size or how does that work with so many skates? Uh, that's, uh, that's why it's a little bit tricky. Uh, uh, basically, it's a one piece mold. Uh, so the boot, the sole plate and the frame is one piece, but the frame you can separate. So we can have, we can put an 80 millimeter frame or 72 millimeter frame on the same boot. So basically it's a sliding mold where you can, where we can cut it off, uh, yeah, at the boot, so. That saves in the cost, huh? Uh, it's a little bit saving the cost and yeah, it was, and it's always like, uh, you know, some people cut the frames off and make it a UFS skate. So the, if you see inside there's a UFS mounting. So Aeon, if we want it could be UFS too, but we, so far we never did it, so. What's the most popular boot? you've manufactured over the years for, for aggressive inline? Uh, I would say, you know, over the years, I would for sure say that was, you know, the classic throne and then the Aeon right now. So since years, it's, you know, the Aeon has been really growing and I think it got a good fan base and we still can do some improvements. You know, the, the big problem with the Aeon, with the mold being so big, we cannot use all the materials for the injection we want because otherwise we're not getting out the mold anymore, the, the plastic anymore over the mold because it's getting too stiff and too stable. So we cannot go as hard and you know as we want with this, uh, with the Aeons. So this is always some some things we're trying to work out and some tricks to make it you know harder, faster, and you know even longer lasting. 
now it is also just royal distribution doing icon and mesmer and gods how did this royal come about and why is there a separation from PowerSide with that uh why it is it, it has several reasons there was you know like i said i started the company with stefan my partner and actually he was a little bit older already and he was you know when when you have business you have sometimes different views so he didn't really want to go too much in the direction of uh let's say b2c sales also and also not too much into the aggressive because it's too it was not so big over the years so but we you know it's always a discussion how many skaters you support how many skaters you sponsor and if it's needed or not so that was always a little bit the discussion we had so uh, so we always talked that, you know, he wanted to be out a little bit early and I said, okay, uh, if you're not want to be out, I want to do something to on the side. So that's why, you know, basically I was thinking about this Royal doing it on the side uh, as my own project. So, and so I started a little bit thinking about it and then, you know, brands like Gods with Frankie, they got a little bit lost at Power Slide too, because, you know, we have so many different segments and different brands. So it's, you know, if you have a little brand like God's on it, uh, it's just get lost. And so, but it, I always enjoyed working with Frankie for the project and stuff like this. So I said, uh, it would be good to maybe move, you know, God's to a new project. And then, uh, yeah, Icon came as an idea to make like a, a new brand and, you know, Montre was down for it. And so, you know, when you meet the like the guys, you always talk a little bit what you can do and what you can do in the future and, you know, trying a little bit, you know, to teach them and bring them more in the industry. And then basically, when I had the idea for, for Disroyal for some months already, and it was then also, you know, Billy contacted me about, you know, the UFS thrones, uh, the classic thrones. And it was like, okay, you know, sounds like a good idea, but, you know, I have some, this idea going, you know, you want to join in. So it basically was like a start and everything came together from, from nowhere. So it was never planned, like, you know, like a master plan behind, let's do, you know, gods, mesmer and, you know, uh, like icon. It's like something which just came together and I wanted to do it like a, as a company like going direct you know selling direct but also selling to the best shops in the world only so only to the core shops and you know who really support skating and so and also wanted to do a project you know i'm i'm not getting younger but there's a lot of you know younger people out there good skaters who you know who like to be in the industry you want to give more skaters a, a place in the industry and so i said yeah, let's do something together with, with all these skaters, you know, try to teach them a little bit. And then, you know, in some years I can hand over the torch to these guys and then can continue when I'm basically maybe in my wheelchair or whatever. <laughs> so that was a little bit idea. And then actually at the same time, you know, like you said, you know, COVID was really good for the company. And then, you know, I found agreement with Stefan, my partner. So basically last year, uh, around this time I bought him out from power slide so yeah that's you know then was everything coming together so there was disroyal and there you know I was in power slide alone so it was easier to do projects and make decisions and you know make faster decisions if you're two guys and one guy says yes and one guy says no then you know basically you're not doing it so you're not moving forward so yeah so it has all pros and cons 
I really enjoyed the time, you know, working with him, but, you know, it's also sometimes when you're more loose and freedom and you not have to, you know, discuss and, you know, explain everything to another guy to make some things easier. So who's taking over all of his responsibilities? Is that you or have you hired some new employees? Uh, it's, uh, I took quite some of the job over and I, I hired some new people for sure, you know, to, to help me too. So we, we hired quite some, yeah, some skaters too, I would say. So, you know, as you can see with Destroyer, so it's basically really skater driven from all the designers and the people and everything and also the office people and salespeople. And we also hired like, you know, two more people here uh, at PowerSlide. And so, yeah, I'm trying to do it. And uh, while well, we also have, my wife came in and helped a little bit with the financial side, he's a controller. And so she's handling this a little bit and, you know, keeps me a little bit on track with the numbers, making sure I'm not, you know, overspending too much and going crazy with everything. The, all the, these new projects are really exciting. I really love Mesmer, what Billy's doing with that marketing. And then Icon is really cool because it's such a big brand. You know, you guys are going to make a lot of products from all every wheel, frames, and the skates. Now, you guys haven't released a lot of the skates yet for Icon. What, what's the production looking like? What's the holdback? Uh, the whole bag, you know, the, the whole COVID thing. And it's also was like, uh, I would say we, everything was delayed from, you know, from sampling, from the changes. And then we made more changes that we wanted. And, you know, we wanted to make sure we come out with really when everything is ready. So all the changes, the new samples, and then the production, everything really got delayed. Uh, and now uh, the good news is we have like the aggressive models, the HE. HE10 carbon and the HE20 uh, and the, actually the TR10, you know, the, the Trinity carbon boot with a carbon cuff is also ready. So they are shipping basically right now from China. So they're arriving in, you know, logistic is not easy, but hopefully in six weeks around, you know, they will be ready to ship and, you know, around the world. Awesome. I look forward to seeing those in person. Um, and then with Mesmer and God, so Mesmer is an agreement with Billy and he's handling the distribution in the U.S. And you're distributing it worldwide then outside of the U.S. Uh, is he doing some other areas too? Uh, well, he was, he was, we, we said America is him. So he, North and South America, basically. And okay. we do the rest of the world. So right now it's crossing over. We already had some orders because he was out, you know, from USA and then, you know, uh, so it's still crossing a little bit over, but we try to keep it clean and yeah, so it's handling all America and we handle the rest of the world. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good agreement. I really like that he's not just running the brand as marketing and, you know, the brain and, you know, the team and everything. And it's, I have to admit like Mark, Mark Moreno is also doing a big part, you know, design and team and everything. Uh, but also, I really like that Billy wants to get into, you know, the whole distribution and the whole sales and says he wants to create a home for more skaters there, too. You know, he said he told me he went to a skateboard company in North California and at the skate company, there was 40 old guys skateboarders working. They were like 40, 50, 60 years, but they were was working there and he was really impressed and he said, well, this is something I want to do and I want to start small, but then I want to add more and more people to the, you know, to my roster and to my team and, you know, having, you know, people around him who skate and love to skate and also skaters to give skaters, you know, also 
a little bit of future, you know, outside just probe being skaters, but also having and finding jobs in the industry. Billy is definitely doing a good job with that. His heart's in the right place. And I know he wants to help as many people as he can. Um, with, with God's, how did, with God's, Frankie is the owner now, or how does that work? People always ask me, is God's owned 100% by Frankie, or is there still some involvement with you? Or what's the, what's the story with God's? I guess it's, you can say it's us. That's <laughs> oh, you guys. Okay. It's no, it's 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 Frankie and us. It's like you know, mm -hmm. to be honest, uh, Frankie is a guy. Let's do it. I think we there's no contract with Frankie. There's nothing, and uh, he's he's a one of the amazing guy. So it's like you know, we always said basically, you know, it's a it's always a discussion. I had the same discussion with Billy. You know. So what do you do? Okay, you are 50% owner. What does it give you? You know, you only basically, it makes sense only if we sell the company. So, and how many companies you have been sold in the inline skating industry? So that's not too many. So I would say, and so we always said, let's not, you know, focus too much on the ownership. Let's try to make the best out of it. And uh, Frankie is, yeah, he's, you know, running the team with Tim Franken basically. And, you know, he's also handling sales more or less in the USA. He got, you know, uh, intuition involved and in helping him with shipping. Matt Mickey is helping him. Uh, but he's basically always, same like, like Billy is also into the distribution a little bit. I would say a little bit more freestyle, not with a real company, but, you know, with his online and social sales. And, um, but yeah, Frankie was always one guy, I have to admit, you know, that's like, you could tell Frankie, Frankie, yeah, sorry, you're kicked out. We are not, you know, cannot pay you anymore, anything, any stuff. No, that's okay. I'm still continue skating. And there's some guys like him who really love to skate and doing it for the passion and not, you know, for being paid or being pro or whatever. And this is, yeah, he's quite impressive guy. So it's, I really admire him too for his attitude. It's a, it's a, that's also the, the nice thing, I think, with the disroyal, you know, project it gave me quite a little bit of a push too and you know more outside thinking like you say you know billy has his visions frankie has his visions and montreal has his vision and and they're all totally three different guys but they all have like you said the heart at the right place and so it's uh quite enjoying to working with them and and their view and you know what they're doing and you know working with them together cool do you keep in contact with any of the old pros you had throughout the years like, you know, some of the main guys in the early 2000s? Yeah, a little bit too. You know, we have 25 years coming up for UST next year. So we were planning some, you know, some special skates again and releases. So have been in contact with some of the older guys. And so we have, I have been quite in contact with Dominic, with Sagona. So, you know, we are working for a special release skate with him. And then, you know, talking to Feinberg and, you know, Aaron for this. And, uh, and the, the nice thing is also, which got the most delay because there's problems finding the, we lost all the shoe mods for Shadow, but also talking actually to, to Dustin, to Dustin Latimer about a, a history 25 years Shadow, real Shadow skate, you know, with all the natural and old parts for him. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's quite nice, actually. And, you know, talking to Richard is back and, you know, he's quite, I'm quite in contact with Richard, Demetrius, and, you know, 
Kevin Gilling, I always was in contact because he was always working for Bravo. So we're meeting at the trade shows and always a little bit. And so, yeah, we planned some, you know, some things for 25 years. We, you know, some, I don't know, 20 years ago, we had like a catalog, like playing cards with all the team. So we're planning this again for next year. And so have all the old skaters on it. So that's why we are quite a little bit in contact with all the old guys and, you know, trying to get them moving. And that sounds really exciting. It's, it's really exciting and it's really good. And it's, you know, for some guys, it's like a lot of things, you know, when you talk about or think about Dustin, you know, he's for me, he's one of the best skaters ever. And it's really sad that he kind of left the industry and, you know, not really involved in it. And so, yeah, so it's good talking to those guys and, you know, maybe give a little bit back. Cool. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I look forward to seeing what happens with that. Um, what's the, with, you know, them skates kind of changed how royalties are being done in the industry when they started upping their royalties pretty big um, with their skates. And I know that, that that's kind of gone power with Powerside a little bit and Gods and Mesmer are all going to have larger royalties than in the past. Um, what are you guys doing with royalties now with Powerside? How has it changed for you guys? Well, the change, you know, back in the day, it was like you were selling only to shops. And the, when the market is down, you know, everybody's looking for pricing and, you know, the skate should not be expensive. And so, you know, when you're adding up royalty for sure, in the end, you know, the shops have to pay it so you can pay it to, to the skaters. So you're adding up the price on top. So, uh, yeah, right now we are basically adjusting and we, we have a program where, uh, depending where we sell that they they getting between 10 and 30 dollars per per skate basically sold and yep that's uh basically also for mesmer it's like you know 30 for for the chombolino skate and stuff like this so we're trying to to match it and the thing we do as things a little bit different we try to still give them a monthly salary to the, our skaters so it's because you know you cannot give every skater every year you know a pro skate and so you know if you're having one guy a pro skate every two years and then they're getting a nice royalty but they still have to make a living over the next you know few years then you know it's kind of hard and a lot of our riders actually they they still living for for skating even they are not you know super highly paid but a lot of the skaters just live and breathe skating and do this as a profession and do you know skate and you know enjoy it and you know create content and create videos and pictures and everything so uh, we try to mix and match it and you know have them uh, okay salary a little bit and then having now a higher royalty rate too so it's uh it's good i think it's good that sean did it and it put some pressure on the other brands too and you know i think it's good and you know if the customers are accepting it and right now with a for sure with COVID people were accepting a higher price than before, you know, if you imagine before, like three years ago, selling a aggressive skate for $500, it was like, oh, holy moly, that's super expensive. And it must be a complete carbon fiber skate or whatever. So, and now you, you know, you get away with 500 for, you know, for plastic skate basically with a solid good liner and good parts. So that's also, I think, because, uh, yeah, the consumer is now accepting a, a higher price and also you'd be willing to support you know the the skaters more than ever well there wasn't much of a change in the price of a lot of skates over the past 20 years anyway right i mean it was pretty consistent 
the pricing? Yeah, it's like, you know, when the market is down, for sure, you try to keep the prices down. And, you know, you're always negotiating with the supplier to have better prices and better stuff. And uh, I think the right now, you know, the prices worldwide are just exploding for many reasons, for logistics, for all the raw materials, for labor materials. And so it's uh, quite a difficult time right now with, you know, having prices under control and also logistics under control. So, but yeah, that's uh, right now the consumer is, you know, really supportive of this and supporting it. And I hope it will continue like this. You know, uh, I think the, the super glory days of COVID will be over this year. So this year will be a little bit slower and tougher one. And uh, quite a lot of brands on the market, you know, a lot of old brands came back and new brands started. And so it's quite a, uh, and I think the market will come down a little bit this year. So I think it could be quite a little bit of a, a battle or struggle this year, you know, get everything going. It definitely feels to me that the market is oversaturated right now, especially with um, like wheel brands and uh, there's a lot of frames, there's a lot of competition. Um, so I'm definitely interested to see where everything goes once everything normalizes a little bit. Do you think that the current trend of skating is going to stick around for a long time or... Well, I think it's, you know, COVID did help. And, but I was saying always years before that inline skating is due for a comeback. And I think a lot of things changed, you know, inline skating definitely became, let's say, cooler in the public eye. You know, before it was like, you know, you imagine like uh, inline skating, a fat old 50 year old overweight guy in a speed suit, uh, you know, skating a speed event and a competition and falling down and everybody laughing at them. And now you consider inline skating more like a, you know, cool urban thing where a lot of cool people are involved and, you know, fashion and trend and orientated more. Uh, the skateboarders are accepting it way more. And I think, you know, you, the great thing is you have a lot of people coming back, like old guys really supporting it. And, but also you have all the other companies who stayed in it and all the people who stayed in it really involved and, you know, Guys like you, you know, you you never went away basically and always supported skating with your media or Billy with his, you know, podcasts and stuff like this. And I think this this is a great thing. And and on top, we have the other people coming back and so many new things also, you know, the parks are being built everywhere. You have the pump tracks everywhere and nice bike passes for fitness and, you know, speed skating. And so I think, yeah, after the boom, there will be some people left uh, over who will continue it. Uh, some people just will put it back in the garage and, you know, not look at it for many years again and then bring it back after 10 years maybe again. But uh, for sure, there will be some people left. And I guess now it's part of the industry to, you know, keep it going and, you know, try to make cool things, try to, you know, build the, the brands and build the industry. And like you guys do, you know, have media so people can look at it and, uh, really pushing and continue what people did and, you know, maybe improving it. You know, so many news channels and YouTube channels and events going really well, like Julio with, you know, Blading Cup and uh, doing it summer and, and Winter Clash or Summer Clash when it's coming back and, you know, stuff like this. So I think it will be really important to have some nice, important events, uh, the brands getting involved, you know, having their teams and, you know, making some trips again and, yeah. So everything needs to come together to make it, you know, a longer lasting, you know, wipe. I definitely think that, you know, YouTube is helping uh, get the word out there. 
and a lot of um, people switching disciplines as well, you know, from big wheel to aggressive and speed and slalom and everything like that. I did notice when I first got my first tri-skate set up from you, which was the Power Slide Imperial uh, Mega Cruiser Pros. Um, I would skate those around and people would ask me what they were because they didn't even think they were inline skates because it looked totally different. They're like, oh, those are cool. What are they? I'm like, they're inline skates. I'm like, or rollerblades or whatever. And they're like, no way. So I think that whole thing was beneficial too, uh, as far as the big wheel side of things. It was like a completely different looking skate. Yeah, no, I agree. That was a little bit the intention. What we did that we wanted to make it a little bit different look. And I agree when I looked at the, the first 125, you know, Imperial skate or whatever setup, it looked like a different it didn't look like an inline skate. It looked better. It looked better in proportion and it looked really nice. And, you know, when we did the tri-skate thing, it was, you know, the first thing we had a fitness skate with it. And a lot of the, the younger guys who tried the fitness skate really enjoyed the fitness skate and say, oh, that's really cool. You know, three wheels and you're more agile and everything. And we thought, oh, how can we do it? You know, at this time, we were not really a strong fitness brand, I would say, with Powerslide. So we said, oh, we have to go back and try to, prove it that you know three wheels are pretty good for you know for racing where we're good at and so we tried you know and started the 125 in racing and then luckily you know we have like in aggressive we have really really good team riders in in speed skating and with Bart and Felix we had like the top guys and they were testing it and enjoying it and then yeah people talked about it uh, it's not really faster and then Berlin Marathon came and Bart just crashed the record with, you know, three minutes, something doing it alone. And it's like everybody said, okay, wait a little bit, it's faster. So, and it's more fun and stuff like this. And a lot of people came back, like you said, oh, thanks for making the three wheel skates. You know, they are more fun. They're cool for cruising. Uh, that's the reason I came back to inline skating. I'm, you know, unpacking my old skates, but putting the new frames under it. And thanks for making big wheel blading and stuff like this. So. Yeah, I think that uh, the tri-skate helped a little bit to push in a different direction. But it's also good, you, like you said, at this time, the whole market and the people were much more open. It was not like the aggressive skaters would hate on the big wheels or, you know, the, the hockey skaters would hate or the urban skaters would help. Everybody would try it and, you know, say, OK, it's good for me or I don't like so much. And there's people who liked it and people went back to 80s. So but it just gave skating a different, you know, a different niche and a different, you know, feeling of skating. So, yeah, we're quite happy how, you know, tri skating or inline skating with three wheels or big wheel blading came along. I definitely enjoy tri skating. Um, I've skated most of the different wheel sizes. Uh, I like three by 125 a lot. It's just, you know, for city streets that are rough and places like that. Um, but I feel like that three by 125 is definitely for beginner people getting into inline skating can potentially be a dangerous initial skate to get wheel size. What's your opinion on like beginners, their first skate being like a three by 125? Uh, for a beginner, it's hard to be honest, because I think it's when they buy a 325, you know, a 125, it's, it's not the slowest setup. So I think they're for beginners, they're going too fast. And it's even you can make a uh, can mount a break on it. I think it's it's better for you know start up with a three times hundred ten or three times hundred only, and 
so yeah for a beginner i think it's it's quite hard if you have a hard boot and good support it's already a plus but still with 125 you're quite a little bit higher off the ground so you you fall also harder and depending on the frame length if you have, have an urban frame which is not so long it's not so stable the longer it gets with 125 for sure it gets more stable and then it's it's easier to you know balance well and but for the short frame it's definitely harder to balance and you know to be able to skate securely without falling right um i enjoy the three by 100 the most i think at least for urban skating it's very agile uh and super playful um with the I want to go back to the aggressive skates for a couple of questions, which was you had mentioned previously that potentially there could be an aggressive skate with a Trinity frame making a sill plate mount for it. Has that, is that something that's been tested, worked on at all? Is it something that might come out? A Trinity sole plate, a Trinity boot with sole frame. So it's like, a, um, that's not right now. You know, we had, uh, we have our next skate and we had the next skate with our, with a Kaiser Trimax skate. So we have a little bit of a, you know, a mixture of an aggressive and urban frame with a little bit heel fin for sole grinds. But so far we haven't done, you know, really a, a Trinity mount with a sole frame on it. So we are thinking about, you know, some special skates, I would say that, you know, could incorporate different mounting systems, but it's a, uh, it's it's quite some way out. Sounds like a lot of testing and design. Yeah. Um, is there any possibility for a UFS version of the next boot? Uh, right now, I would say no. It's a it's a it's an urban skate with Trinity, and uh, it's not yeah it's not really designed to be an aggressive boot. It's uh, maybe you know down the road there will be. For sure, we you know in some years there might be a new Aeon out with a different look, which is maybe more like looking like a Next or like an Urban Skate, and but having the technology of a UFS and aggressive skate. It's a, always amazes me how many products you guys are able to come out with in such a short amount of time compared to all the other companies out there. Um, I guess it's because it, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, does that have to do with you not being corporate and just you? in charge <laughs> yeah i'm i'm in charge of the product thing and i'm like a, I, I admit i'm a product geek and i love to make innovations and i love to try different things even i know it's easier to fail so it's like uh, like we said before you know we had our failures and if you look at usd you know we once had the legacy skate and for this you know we did brainstorm with the whole team what we need uh adjustable sole plates which can be wider side to side a royal groove which can move back and forwards you know a height adjustable cuff and we made aluminium bars and so it was a super technical and tricky skate but it it failed pretty badly so it was and it was something cool but then it did not work so well so we had to modify it and we made it heavier and taller and bigger so in the end it was not something what we wanted to do and then we basically went back to the drawing board and said, let's do something totally different. And the USD, you know, the carbon came out and, you know, basically the opposite, super lightweight and, you know, very responsive and stuff like this. So, but I was thinking it's, it's also because, you know, we have, I guess, a lot of team skaters 
and all the team skaters, you know, they bring ideas and they bring improvements and they always said, oh, can we do this? Can we do that? And, you know, and then it's always like, okay, it's not a bad idea. You know, maybe we can do this and that. And so it's, it's always like a little bit, you know, a product is always like sometimes, yes, it's one guy's idea, but a lot of times it's like, you know, one guy comes up with idea and then it's changed and being reworked and you have the designers, you have the skaters and uh, the team managers or whatever. And then it's, you know, the whole project evolves and then, yeah, it comes out and yeah, the, we are not a corporate and we can try more. So we fail more and, uh, but we also, you know, sometimes it works uh, some parts. So yeah, we're trying. And I was, I'm always thinking, you know, I don't want to do always the same as other people do before. So, you know, if we just do always the same UFS put just in a different look, that was never my intention. I always wanted to try things that maybe are out of the box and could be better with a risk of failing. So. I noticed with the Mesra skate, you're using a new material of PBAX. Yeah. Is that something you're going to use on other skates in the future for PowerSide or USD? Uh, yes, we are trying to. The, actually, this company has a lot of cool, cool materials. Uh, I would say, I know Billy said they are not so expensive, but they're really expensive. <laughs> and, uh, but it's a very special material. You know, Prepax is basically used in most of the super high-end running shoes on the bottom to give actually energy back. So it's a, a very special plastic, which is bendable, but always returns and gives a lot of energy back. So actually has a lot of good features and a lot of good features, you know, you can use for skates. So yeah, we are trying to incorporate, you know, this in different projects too down the road. But as it's as it's a quite expensive material, it will be only you know incorporated on the on the high end. But the whole company, it's a French-based company doing this. They are also really into eco-friendly, and their basic uh, all the materials are a lot of is bio-recycled and they're based on corn or you know other stuff. So it's also quite an eco-friendly material, which is you know getting more and more important too. Even we are eco-friendly sport, I would say, as a transport, but still we also try to look into, you know, use, use better and less material, which can be recycled well and, you know, contribute a little bit from our side too. That's really cool. I really like that uh, concept of having environmentally friendly products in there. Um, for the Trinity skates, you, have started licensing Trinity mounting to some frame companies. I know Endless and NN have released Trinity versions of their frames. I know some custom speed makers uh, are making Trinity uh, boots. Is there any other brands that you've been talking to about making Trinity products? Have any actual skate manufacturers had interest in doing a Trinity mount? Yeah, there was some, uh, there was, was some talking and uh, it's always hard to say brand names. <laughs> Probably they don't like it, but they were uh, one of the two big ones we were talking to. And so then, you know, their, the ownership changed there. So it got a little bit on hold, but it's, it's always hard for, for another company, you know, for a big company to get on board because, you know, they feel they are contributing something which, you know, which probably helps another brand more than this. Uh, well, the, and the, the small brands, like you said, the frame companies, they were really cool and supportive. And, you know, for us, it's definitely, you know, 
it's it's helping us too. You know, with cool brands like and smaller brands, uh, you know, like NNN and you know Endless are really you know joining in and pushing this system too. Uh, I think you know Trinity for some frame setups and wheel sizes, it's really the best. It makes it more stable, more lower, and really has a great power transfer. So it's for sure a system we want to you know keep pushing forward in the in the future. And we are happy, you know, the more companies join in, the better. But we know probably we'll never get all the brands on board with you know, with everything. But yeah, we are all open and, you know, we are happy if people joining in. Well, I hope that that takes off because I really like the Trinity system myself. Will we ever see a 4 by 100 Trinity urban frame? Yep. Is that Pretty something stupid. that's in the works? <laughs> <laughs> pretty soon it's like uh, the guys are actually testing on it uh, it's a new power slide frame uh, it's called combat it's a yeah, fully cnc frame with uh, having a yeah nice cnc cut 7000 aluminium has a a triple void not a double void a triple void to make it even stiffer and it has a new rockering system for all the wheels so something quite a little bit special Nice. So that sounds really cool. Should come actually in, I think in March or so, or April will be released. So yeah, it's a quite, and there for this, we have all the sizes and, you know, all the different sizes. I think we have eight different setup for this. And do you plan on releasing uh, any skates similar to the Arise RD skate in the future? Uh, yes, there's quite some in the work too. And uh so we just got some samples the last days for a new boot, which is also like a carbon fiber, but with a cuff uh, going in the Arise Marathon direction again. That's just, yeah, you know, it's basically where I come from, Marathon racing, and I still do racing. And when you get older, I'm still on the low boots, but I also enjoy, you know, the higher boots for Marathon with more support. And so it's also something, you know, I'm liking and enjoying. So that's definitely also one of our focus to have a nice high-end, you know, carbon fiber boot with, you know, good functions and good features. Some of the new icon models also go in this direction a little bit, you know, with, uh, we have a uh, 165 and a Trinity mount, both with carbon fiber cuff and carbon fiber shells coming with different mounting systems and, and different frames and lacing systems. So yeah, that's also coming something there. If I were to get into speed skating, why would I pick Power Slide Speed Boots over some of the other brands out there? Oh, that's a good question. There's a, in speed skating, there are so many brands. And I think in speed skating, you should always pick the brand and the boot which fits the best. Every brand has a little bit different fitting and there's different fitting boots. Uh, you know, we have our high end with a triple X, which is a narrow fitting boot and very tight on the Achilles and the ankle. For some of the top speed skaters say it's not narrow enough, for others it's way too narrow. So, and then we, we have some wider fitting skates too, you know, more coming down in the entry level racing. So basically the more entry level in racing, the wider the fit gets a little bit with us. But in speed skating, I think it's, it's really important that the boots really fit well. Uh, even you can heat mold most of the skates, but I think, you know, Speed skate, you should try and test and stand in it and they fit well uh, and have a little bit of pressure point, no problem, you heat mold them. But, you know, some boots you go in and they don't just feel like, you know, you can go from it and 
And I think it's, yeah, speed skating is really important that they fit like a second skin. So uh, I, I skate barefoot in speed skates, so you have more control and a better feeling. And so this is what a lot of people do. And that's why they are also super, super tight. You know, it's hard to, for me to get in in my boots. It's hard to get out of the boots because they are so tight and so molded. So, but yeah, for speed skating, if you should choose power slide, you choose it maybe because you like the brand, you like the fit, and you maybe do it because we're supporting speed skating with some skaters, have a team, and we try to, you know, keep pushing the industry forward and, you know, trying to innovate also there in this area. But otherwise, there are so many good brands out there and cool brands. So it's not always, you know, about power slide. For sure, I would like we have a monopoly in the world, but it's not, and it's good to have competitors because, you know, like we talked before, you know, it's like, you know, skaters pushing us, but also competitors pushing us to, you know, improve and get better and, you know, making it better. And like this, the industry grows and keep healthy when everybody's pushing, you know, each other forward. That's a great answer. Earlier, you said you still do some speed skating. Do you still actually compete? And do you do any long distance skating or urban skating? uh racing not really you know uh, i do long distance skating and uh, i try to do every year i try to do one race at least so i have motivation to you know get their chocolate belly off from christmas so uh, normally i always try to do at least a berlin marathon so this is something where i think uh, i can recommend to any skater it's like you know this year was or last year was a little bit over 2000 skaters but the, when the years before COVID was like 5,000 skaters, sometimes 8,000 skaters. And when you go there, it feels like, you know, skating is the biggest sport in the world. You have half a million people standing on the, you know, on the marathon course around the city, cheering at you, bands playing for you. And it's like just a really, really incredible experience. You have the best skaters in the world there, but also, you know, you have people skating, you know, two, three hours there and, you know, enjoying skating. So it's a it's a great event so i always try to do one event and for this i i train but the, my training is more or less you know i go over over the hills and we go here from the office there's a little 20k lap basically up and down the hills we call it the desk lap and so that's why that's what i'm doing mainly and with some you know we have quite some aggressive and urban skaters here so from time to time we're doing a a skating urban session go to city and bomb a little bit the city and the hills and otherwise try to play hockey a little bit so that's it what's your favorite setup right now uh for myself or for speed skating i'm on a 300 uh, three times 125 uh, i'm on the 12.5 magnesium casted frame because it's really light and I don't have really big feet at my 41. So the 12.8 really fits me well and it's nice to skate. And for hockey on our, on our, you know, three times hundred, like you are, like you're saying, it's very agile. And I like to play on three times hundred millimeter hockey, actually super agile and still very fast. So that is my two setups. And for urban, I have a three times 125 with a little bit longer frame. You guys make a, a hockey boot, right? Yep. And how is how's that doing? How's the roller hockey market? Uh, it's a, a little bit of a neglected thing from us, to be honest. It was also, you know, we started it just before COVID with some, you know, yeah, we started also with, you know, with Trinity Mound and with uh, with three big wheels, which was definitely something new in hockey. Hockey is very, very traditional, I would say. 
they're all used to you know fixed boots with you know where you cannot change the wheels and so when we came out it was quite something new and there were some people really liking it and also some top guys playing on it and still playing on it but when covid hit basically and hockey skates how we do it with it's all hand lasted so it takes really long to produce so all this hockey production actually was pushed back to you know to be able to produce more of the you know hard boots of the fitness boots and uh, you know the other boots which are important for for selling wise so we pushed the hockey project and the and the skates a little bit back so we are just getting now more and more stock but uh, we definitely weren't able to ship a lot of the hockey stuff in the last two years, to be honest. Well, we'll see if that has a resurgence. Um, I live, you know, where I live, hockey is really big, ice hockey. Yeah. But no, but no one does roller hockey in the summer. I f- find it weird that they just—it's like a seasonal sport almost, you know. Yeah. Um, do you have any plans? I know a lot of your skates fit a little narrow. Are you going to have any wider skate options in the future? Uh, yeah, actually we do. We plan a wider f- foot. Uh, I think, you know, some of our skates are a little bit wider, you know, like if you talk about the Zoom or Sway, they are quite a wide fit uh, compared to maybe like the the Imperial, like you said, is probably a narrow fit. Uh, and it's uh, then the next is like a medium fit and the Zoom is a, like a wider fit, but we plan to add like a, a wider fit to the collection too. So it's like a, a universal fit, which, you know, fits to everybody and has like a single liner padding and stuff like this. So I guess it's a little bit back from, from our thinking as always, we try to make the skates always the most best and performing skates. And we don't want to, you know, put too much padding and stuff, too much volume inside and always try to keep it, you know, uh, nice and, you know, snug around the foot. And I think with, I know some people, they have wider feet and it's hard. And for some skates, you know, it's harder to heat mold them. And, but a lot of, you know, skates now you can heat mold really well and they will fit really well even to wider feet. But yeah, there are plans to make something wider. On your skates, what's the biggest size you make on most of them? Uh, most of them go like to a 47. And uh, some skates like the next, we have a 48 and 49 boot too. What would that be in... Uh like US size? Uh, it's like, a, or US, it's like a 14. 14. Yeah. And what about your speed skates? Are they, do you have any that big as well? Uh, speed skates, actually, we only have against 47, but we had back in the day, we had also 50, which is a 14, 15 in USA. So we do you could, have any pla- could we- I was gonna say, do you have any plans on going bigger on the speed skates again? Probably we should be if you're asking this. There uh, probably there's demand, and I know we had one boot and it was quite successful actually. So I don't remember why we stopped it, but I would put it on the to-do list. Yeah, I do think that's a good one to add. I did have a lot of people ask me that question. Yeah, I want to talk to you a bit about Chaya. Why did you decide to start a roller skating brand, and how has quad skating changed since you started Chaya? Uh, yeah, you know, the, the whole history, you know, I was, a, I was a quad skater, so there was always passion for quads. And over the years, we had quite some quad models in our line under Powerslide, under GFX. Uh, we were distributing uh, Shoe Grip from USA. Uh, we were buying some rock skates uh, and stuff like this. So we always a little bit linked uh, with a roller skate. And then uh, we had uh, 
you know, John McFadden, he was before, maybe you heard the name, he was before, uh, you know, sales manager at Hyper in the glory days. And then he worked for Rydell and everybody. And he said, you know, uh, you guys should get into, you know, roller skates. And he was like our distributor. And he set up everything up a little bit. And we got first into Derby with Kaya. And then, yeah, we got, you know, into the lifestyle skates and, you know, the fashion skates or whatever you name it. But then it turned out, you know, quickly that, you know, one of the markets definitely, which is also happening there is park skating. So aggressive skating for roller skates. And that is something which is really nice and happening. And that was also quite thing, quite good. And so when we came in, we tried also to make, you know, our carbon fiber technology with heat molding. Uh, we made a new mounting system where you can mount, you know, the plates with just two screws and, you know, adjust front to back and side to side a little bit. And so, yeah, this is uh, the Kaya project has been, you know, working really well. And uh, we have a lot of good people on the team. And uh, like Kenneth himself, you know, he's a design, you know, he's one of the main designers. He's also into roller skating a lot and, you know, skating park and, so this is helping a lot, you know, to move this project forward. And yeah, it's, uh, and, you know, roller skating has been booming too. Uh, that was also, you know, something nice. And it went, you know, a lot of the girls you can see on TikTok, you saw on TV and commercials again, roller skating. So it was great to seeing inline skating and roller skating basically coming back at the same time and both actually, uh, yeah, working together and, you know, not against each other and like, you have events like Blading Cup or, you know, Frankie's event, like you have competitions for roller skates and inline skates, park skating. So I think it's a, it's a great vibe and everybody really is enjoying it and working together. And that's, I think, over the years, I think that's the, the biggest thing and the most developed. You can see that skaters being so open, like you said before, you know, aggressive skating, you can see at a marathon in Berlin right now, skating and enjoying it. And you know, everything is crossing over and it's not just anymore, ah, it's a speed skater or ah, aggressive skater. No, you know, it's just a skater and everybody is, you know, really appreciating the other one. So, and the same goes for inline skaters and roller skaters. So I think that's a, a great thing which changed. Do you think the resurgence of quad skating, especially park quad skating, has had any impact on aggressive inline skating or helped aggressive inline grow at all? Mm, I don't think so much. Uh, I think, you know, there, there's crossovers from both sides, you know, there's, you know, Montre doing, you know, roller skating park two and really enjoys it and really is good in it. So there, there's aggressive guys going to park skating and there's like, you know, roller skaters going from park skates in quads to inline skates and there's a crossover or there's people doing both and there's quite some people actually doing both things. So it for sure it helps a little bit you know when people see skaters in the park with roller skates or inline skates to help it but uh, i think uh, the main thing for aggressive it came back it was like you know uh, the older guys came back all motivated and it's a better media situation right now and you have you know more medias like you said on youtube tiktok or whatever where young kids see you know aggressive skating and if you look at it right now in aggressive skating and all the social media you see a lot of really really young good guys you know on skates right now again who is already you know skating really well young girls skating really well you know young boys you know 18 16 years old who are already ripping so it's like 
you know, before Randy Spicer, uh, Aaron Feinberg, you know, 16, 17 year old guys, you know, who are the best in the world almost. And you can see this coming back right now with a new generation. So really good skaters growing up again. And that's, you know, also something positive for the future that there's a really a second generation of young skaters coming and, and staying in the industry, I think. I've been really impressed by some of the kids I see that are you know, under 10 that are just so good, better than any under 10 has ever been. Um, I also like how Icon, the AM team is all under 18 for the most part, which is cool. Yeah, that's like I said, you know, all the guys have different vision and Montreal idea was, hey, we want to support the youth. Uh, we want to support girls and we want to support worldwide everybody, you know, whatever color it is, whatever nation it is, we want to have Asian, you know, we want to have colored people and uh, want to have girls really supporting. He was really okay. Our team should be basically half girls, half boys. And, you know, so it's uh, his, his vision was really cool. So I said, hey, I'm down for it. And, you know, he was really, yeah, let's do a cool amp team and young guys and and stuff like this. And so, yeah, that's was, you know, really him pushing this too. And I am fully supportive for this. Yeah, it's a great brand. I think everything with this Royal right now is just super cool. It's, yeah, it's like a, a lot of the people involved really make it what it is. And yeah, we were a little bit lucky. You know, we had a good time when we launched it, I think. And, uh, you know, like Montre and all the other guys winning Blading Cup, that was also something which is not planned, you know. So it's like, you know, for sure it was a quite good start and, you know. How many people are working for Disroyal Distribution? Uh, it's like, uh, it's uh, full employees. Basically, it's only three people. It's basically a warehouse guy, uh, Solly, who's doing like sales and marketing. And then we have Miki, basically. She's running like the buying and, you know, also help with sales and, you know, all the, the IT stuff. But then you have uh, Pablo, who's run, who's doing basically it's one of the designers doing all the IT and the, the web design. Uh, you have Kali from Barcelona doing all the graphic designs. Uh, we have Umberto, a skater from Italy, doing all the 3D designs and everything. And so we have Timo right now, who is a, a former speed skater doing social media. So there's, you know, there's a lot of freelance people who are not like always in the, in the office involved in you know handling all the different stuff so it's like a it's like a group of people and skaters more or less you know running and pushing it together that's really cool and then how many people are working for power slide right now uh, i have to think but i think we're a little bit over 30 people so actually the even in the pandemic where there was a lot we didn't really have and hire too many people so it was, you know, we could handle it basically almost the same way before, like we did, because sometimes, you know, it was just hard also getting the goods and, you know, we could have sold two, three times more for sure. But, you know, when you don't have the goods, then, you know, it's not so easy. But yeah, we are about 30 people and a little bit over 30 here at the office. And how many of those people skate? Uh, I would say there are 20 about them who skate. So, that's really a good number. Uh, that's a good number. And I changed this a little bit. When, when Stefan left, I, I changed, I think, the, the percentage of skaters at Powerslide went higher a little bit. You restructured a little bit? or Yes, I restructured a little bit. And, uh, you know, over the years, we, we hired a lot of people, sometimes really, really well-educated people, you know, higher ranked in sales or whatever. 
and then after some time you find out the people are not they are they are good but they are not functioning so well because they they are not really have passion for the products and for the market and they really have a problem getting into all the products you know at powerslide you have so many different products and it's not you know when you when you're new to it and you're not a skater then it's like holy moly what is this it's like way too many things and you know all these wheels all these frames all these skates and stuff like this so even they are really good educated people and but we saw a lot of people fail while you have skaters coming here they have passion for skating they have passion for the brand uh, they love what they do uh, so they bring the passion in and they, maybe they are not the always, you know, they don't know everything, but they also have the passion to learn and educate themselves and really step up over the years. So, you know, there is definitely, that's why I prefer to be honest, to have some, you know, skaters around and passion over education, I would say. You have had some interns there, right? Throughout the years, skaters who have doing internships working for PowerSide? Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. We always try when people call or say, hey, I need to have an internship here and there. So we always try to be open. So it was not super easy during the pandemic, but we still had like a US guy here, actually, uh, aggressive skater who did some months here. And yeah, we always trying to do it. And right now we working with a, a Dutch guy skater on a project for his university and stuff like this. We had a French guy here doing some research and we were actually looking in doing a race club frame again with him and testing and stuff like this. So it's nice because, you know, those people bringing in some new ideas, some new project and, you know, uh, trying to learn from them too, for sure. Who's your longest employee at Parasite? Uh, I think this is, I think it should be Bauer. I guess, you Bauer. know, Bauer. Yeah. He, no Bauer for a long time. Yeah, he was when we started. Actually, he was one of the guys skating outside at Power Slide at the hour rails, and he was 14 at this time. And we hired him when he was 15. And yeah, he did all the education in, in uh, he never left, <laughs> we never, never got rid of him. So he's still there, and he's like, Yeah, he's you know, he's running the US basically business and a lot of the big accounts now, and you know, uh, handling a lot of stuff. So uh, he's actually looking in he was a really good skater and he's looking into coming skating back and you know we have chris also he is here for a long time skating and he come, also came back skating with more skaters coming here so it's nice to see a little group of skaters they go out you know not every uh lunchtime but they go quite to the warehouse skate the rails and the boxes and then you know come back so it's quite to see nice how this all coming together have you never had plans to build a power side skate park? Yes, that's a dream. That's something I need to do before I die. That's on the list. Yeah, so that would be awesome. That's this. I think since 20 years I have it and I have it in my, you know, whatever wardrobe and I have a concept for it. And I'm looking always for a nice place in a hall where we can build really a skate park, which should be nice. And then you know, have clinics there, have, you know, people there, have events there. So it's like, you know, something I want to do. That's that's definitely on the list to do. We bought a little bit of stuff last year for here and for the outside a little bit in front of the office, but it's the big thing is still needs to happen. But yeah, that's uh, one of my last dreams I think I need to do. That'd be really cool. I'll definitely come visit again. Yeah. 
Um, okay, Eugen Enen is, in my opinion, one of the best skaters in the world. And he just had a, a new pro skate come out. But it's been like four years since his last skate came out. Is that right? It's, it's been a long time. And what, what, what happened with that? Was it just COVID or was there some other factors? No, it was. It was a lot of factors. Uh, I think one fact is like COVID. You know, normally I go over to China four times a year for like two weeks to work on products. And then it's, it's quite easy when you're there, you know, to make changes and improvements. And with his skate, you know, it's not, when you see it, it's like not everything new, but there's a lot of little details he wants. And, you know, I think he went to, through uh, 10 different prototypes, always changing and improving. And until always the samples came, and you know that sample is not correct, and they had to rework samples, and so it was a long time that he had to wait for his skate. But he was, I have to, like you said, for me it's probably the best skater in the world. And but he wanted to make sure it's really like he wanted to have it. And if there was five millimeters too long, he went back and changed it. And he was really saying, uh, I want to have it like this. And uh, you know the way he skates is, you know, he's like a ninja. And he wants to have a skate which, you know, really accomplishes skating. And uh, for me, it's great because, you know, he's like, you know, keeping up the, you know, the shadow name and the shadow lifestyle and everything. So definitely, you know, something we support, but it's like, it took way too long. Normally it should be a project that should be done in half a year, but it took like two years. So luckily it came out and we are, uh, you know, for later spring, we plan another color release for him actually uh, for the shadow but like I said for me it's great he's on the shadow and it's a, a long history you know with like we said before you know Shane was really involved at the beginning you know then Shane went to shadow and Solomon and then we bought uh, shadow back from Solomon and so you know with this you know farmer came back who was on Deshi before so there's still a lot of you know let's say from my side also a little bit of passion for the shadow project so because it has a long time history itself and you know a lot of cool people also like Dustin and everything involved so we should and want to carry the heritage for them too. Is the shadow boot and a dupe boot exactly the same or is there some differences? Uh, you know the dupe boot is a different plate it has a trinity mounting right now and the shadow is the UFS boot uh, but they're using the same system and the same cuff basically so yes it's halfway it's the same so we're using a little bit different materials but most of the time actually the same materials so yep very similar so normally with a dupe you can you know also take it quite to a skate park and skate around with it even i would say the shadow is a little bit more supportive and you know uh, hugs a little bit better your your foot for more like aggressive type but yeah it's you know you need to, there's a lot of shadow lovers out there and there's a lot of, you know, would say people say where well, it's way too soft and way too floppy. And uh, it's more like, like I said, for people who really like the, the feel and the look and uh, like skaters like, you know, Eugen, like the little ninja. You had a dupe SUV model that came with a two-wheel off-road frame. What's the advantage of the two-wheel off-road frame versus the three-wheel model? Uh, Actually, the idea came from one of our agents from Finland at this time. And he said, well, I lost one of the frames and uh, when I went off-road, but it really was nice. It was lighter and it skated easier. So I would say the advantage is it's lighter. It's a little bit easier to maneuver because it's a little bit shorter frame. 
and it's more targeted to I would say the people who go with sticks and do like Nordic cross-country ski, uh, skiing. So it's better used with sticks than without sticks. So, but for this, it's lighter and it's easier to perform and easier to maneuver. So with the three big wheels, you know, you're more a little bit on the aggressive side. More, most of the really aggressive urban SUV skaters or off-road skaters, you know, they prefer the 125 wheels which I think we haven't got for two years because the supplier was overwhelmed with COVID and you know, our volume for you know, asking for 2000 pairs of boots is for two years is not so big compared to the bike companies right now who were booming. So all the companies who are doing rubber wheels were really focusing on, you know, on the car industry or on the bike industry and not on the small uh, Nordic or SUV industry we have, but it's definitely something which is coming along and there's a lot of demand and we finally actually got the last week some all the skates in with the three and the two wheels and the 125 also coming back in spring now so it's something fun it's uh, you know if you go off road, uh, I use it actually in winter time to for cross country training when there's no snow so for me the the off-road cross-country is a harder sport I've ever done because it's even more for the cardiovascular system than really Nordic skiing. So it's quite a hard workout for the body. I own both the 125 and the 150 millimeter off-road yeah. frames, and they're really fun on pump tracks yeah. and downhill mountain bike courses. But once you get on flat ground, they're really hard to skate. It's a crazy workout, and it's very cumbersome. I've seen that there's some people doing long-distance skates with these frames, and that's just crazy to me. Uh, yeah, if you only want to skate on the air wheels, that's, uh, you know, if you're not really inflate to the maximum and the, then, you know, the rolling resistance is definitely quite a little bit more than you have on the PU wheels. So I think, you know, if you try to cross something just on the, on the off-road, yeah, it will be quite hard and intensive. So you need to be in very, very, very good shape. Off-road skating is not the only niche market you're promoting you're also promoting a thing called roller aerobics it's like a form of fitness on swell skates yeah who came up with this concept and what are you guys trying to achieve with the roller aerobics movement well it was a little bit uh, you know the it was thinking what can we do for for skating when skating was down and how can we motivate people to get in skating again and a lot of girls and people go to the gym for for workout you know, good or bad, you know, they go to the gym and work out and, and we try, the idea was to combine, you know, skating with a good workout where, you know, girls say, I want to have a nice butt, uh, you want to do this. So the idea was to really get something to coordinate, like, you know, uh, a workout and, you know, muscular training uh, with, uh, with skating. And we always think, you know, skating is, you know, one of the best workouts if you, you know, want to have a, let's say, a nice shaped body too. So that's why I think combining it would make sense. And then, you know, it, will, it was fitting well to the swell concept where we, you know, targeting, you know, the fitness category. And we had, uh, we have a girl from Barcelona, Judith also, and she was working for Nike or still working for Nike as an instructor. And she's also a skater. And she said, hey, I can do something like this. And the first videos we did with, with Felix, you know, our speed skater as a workout and then felt like, okay, yeah, it's uh, maybe a little bit too male orientated. And then we, we went the, 
the down the road more, you know, looking at the girls and stuff like this. But I did it at the roller games. I did like a workout together with Judith and I, I have to say, I was feeling it the next days. <laughs> so, it looks intense. It, it is intense. If you're not used to it, uh, it was a special workout. It, it is intense. You feel it quite some days after. Powerside over the years has made mainly high-end and mid-range skates. Why have you guys stayed away from the entry-level skate market? Well, it's uh, actually, we didn't really stay away. We have, actually. So we have a brand called Playlife. And there we're making cheaper skates. Uh, why we are making cheaper skates? We are. Uh, it has two reasons basically. A lot of the you know countries where there's not so much money, they're asking for cheaper skates to get it going. You know, if you come to a country in the beginning, South America or Africa, and you come with medium and high end skates, you know people cannot afford. So there's a demand for entry level. And then we also think, you know, entry-level skates, if they are not too bad, you know, they help to get the market going and starting. So, you know, at some point, Power Slide, we also had some licenses. Uh, so we had, you know, Marvel, we had Star Wars, we had, you know, the whole Disney, we had Hot Wheels and Barbie and Transformer from Hasbro. And we, we also sold, you know, cheaper skates to the toy shore stores and having the idea you know to bring okay skates to for kids so they get into skates and you know start skating and then you know offering something better down the road so there's a little bit i think the market needs cheap skates uh, for starting uh, definitely we are not a specialist in it and uh, like i said we have a brand with play like where there's cheaper adult and kids skates uh, not really aggressive skates, cheap or so, because, you know, we don't want to go cheap on, on this. But I, there's a market for it. And, but yes, other people focus more on it and probably do it better. And the passion for us is, you know, it's not imitating, but more innovating. So it's like a, the passion to create something new is more attracting than changing the color on the same thing every year. Oh, that makes sense. For, for colors, I've... Noticed on some of your skates targeted towards women, they kind of have more feminine colors. Is there a, are you plan on having a more wide array of colors for female skaters in the future? Uh, yes, uh, that's, uh, I think also a little bit the influence coming from the roller skates that, you know, there's more and more ask and demand for, for women colors. And, uh, you know, we have with, with Joanna, we have a one, women designer too in Barcelona and we have a women designer here in-house Chrissy so you know they for sure pushing also for more women colors and you know some years ago we we launched uh, not too long ago like two years I guess we we launched the fem line uh, which is like you know targeted really to girls only and for this we just had a black coming out a new one a blue one and actually yesterday a new like a pinkish arrived and we have like a nice green coming uh, in spring. So we are definitely coming with some new colorways for, for girls and really good looking. And especially the two new colors are, are very nice colors and women orientated and, you know, very nice and comfortable memory foam where it's just really nice to, to the feet. And so, but yes, uh, definitely, you know, women, girls, you know, it's a, 
it's in in skating it's an even bigger market than than men especially in fitness and so it's great to see it actually also changing in aggressive and uh, i'm super impressed and happy you know that so many girls are actually you know in aggressive right now in urban skating and and make it really uh, a good sport which is you know looking down the road this probably is one of the most important things to make it also maybe one time olympic sport because Olympic Games are looking for sports which are, you know, basically 50-50 where men and women can do and which is young and innovative and stuff like this. So now with, you know, skateboarding in the Olympics, which is the same federation as the inline skating, uh, I think it's a good chance down the road we get, you know, maybe urban freestyle or aggressive, you know, inside the Olympics too down the road. Yeah, that would be cool. I know, you know, for the past 20 something years, there's been various efforts to try to get us into the Olympics, Yep. but it hasn't happened yet. Um, we'll see if it ever happens. I want to ask you in the past, you've made other products outside of skating, such as scooters and different things like that. Why did you start making those products and why did you stop making those products? Uh, well, again, you know, it's a, a little bit like you go after the demand and you have your shops and your distributors and they say, hey, you know, can you get also, you know, scooters for us? And and we try to make actually a scooter brand, you know, with works. And then what happens basically, you know, you have always a limited amount of time. So and then the passion is again on skating. So you do and design the product first for inline skating. And then when there's time left, you do it for maybe for scooters or for skateboards. So this means like in this category, they always get neglected and they fall down. And so we started it, we wanted to be a brand, but basically we found out that to be a brand, we need more focus. We would need to do the same passion like we have for skating, uh, which we don't have. And you need to have the right people. And it was always last in row. So that's why we stopped it again and say, hey, let's focus on where we good at and we good at, you know, inline skating and roller skating, I think. And that's basically our main focus. So like I said, we have Playlife as a cheap brand and there we still have some boards actually, uh, you know, entry level boards, which are good quality and okay, but there's, it's not the, the passion or the development for us. Right, that makes sense. I know you own a factory in China. What products get made at that factory? And do you have any plans to grow production of different products in your factory or add a new factory in the future? Uh, actually, we have, uh, we have to move the factory in April because the landlord wants to have the place back. So we have to move it. And, but yeah, it's a, it's a small factory. You know, it's 40 people and you know, we're doing uh, the high-end skates there. So we're doing aggressive skates there. We're doing urban skates there. We're doing some high-end fitness skates here, like Swell and everything. Uh, we started also because, you know, we wanted to do so many projects. But when you go to China, you know, all the suppliers said, okay, every skate you need to do per color. You need to, well, at least a container, which is, you know, 12, 1500 pairs or 2000 pairs. And we go, no, that's what we cannot do. We are too small for this. So having our own factory, we could say, well, you know, let's try this color for Swell and we order 300 pairs or so. So our own factory gave, gave us much more, you know, possibility to try things, to develop things and, you know, test things. So a lot of the companies also say, oh, I don't want to do development. So you try things and you make so many prototypes and after two years you stop it. So we wasted all our time and money. 
So when it's your own company, you know, you're wasting your own time and money, but you still can try it if you think, you know, down the road, it could work. So that was a little bit, you know, the big production you have to do with other factories and, you know, the people not really wanting to, you know, work for, you know, R&D and in testing so much. So that's why we did our own. And right now we try to keep it as it is. And uh, uh, we're not really trying to grow this. And uh, it was a good day. Actually, the factory worked really well during COVID. And it was every month we had containers going out. So it was working well. Uh, for sure, you know, maybe somebody else, we could have done more in a different factory. But uh, it was also the idea to have our own factory because of quality control and people thinking and making only skates there and not, you know, doing, you know, skates one day and the other day, they have something else on the assembly line. So I wanted to have a factory where people think about skates and they, you know, they know what they're doing and they uh, trying to, you know, have also people in the factory skating and testing. And so you have a little bit of the same culture, the factory and not just, you know, being one of the brands being another factory. So you have some skaters that are working at the factory? Uh, right now, not any more Europeans, but Timo, the guy who actually works at Disroy right now uh, as a speed skater, he was there in our factory for two years and he just came back the last day where before it was closed uh, when COVID hit. So since COVID hit, we don't have anybody there, but we have like uh, two pretty good Chinese skaters there inside. So they are handling it right now. And Timo being there over two years, he quite set up a good structure and a QC system where people have a better understanding what skating is and, you know, explain that if you do an Aeon skate, they need to jump down from three meters and it still should not break. And, you know, uh, so also explain the people why it's used for, because for a lot of the people, it's just like a product and they, you know, they don't know for what it's used for. That is really cool. It really helps explain how you guys are able to make so many products in such a short amount of time. But it has to be a lot of work to design, make, and test all those products. Yeah, even our Chinese guy running it complains. He says, well, you know, you can complain, but, you know, still you have to do it basically because we want to try it. But still, like we sometimes, you know, it's Chinese thinking or Asian thinking about European thinking. So sometimes you still have to butt head and convince them it could be down the road something. And uh, China's mentality is not so easy, you know, teach them that they, if there's a problem, they should tell you, uh, you probably, sometimes they still try to hide it and you find it out later. So not so easy. So definitely we also looking at finding ways to produce stuff more in USA or in Europe. And so, because, you know, it's not so easy and the logistic right now is super expensive and difficult to get. So I think the supply chain problem has been, you know, quite an issue for many of the other brands too. The Matter wheels are made in the US. Yeah, Matter is made in the US. Basically all the undercover wheels, a lot of the icon wheels are made there. The God's wheels are made there. And uh, I don't know what else, but yeah, we we do quite uh, have, you know, a lot of wheels made there. And yeah, it's uh, it's not easy to make good wheels. So it's like, and this has been quite a good constant and the company has been moving uh, to Texas now and they relocated the machines they actually set up the machines newly and they improved the machines again so the quality is actually a little bit up again and so yeah that's that's a good thing and it's a stable product where you know 
we get we know what we get and it's not easy and the prices for wheels have been skyrocketing high with all the pu increases and everything but it's still something you can rely on that it's you know long lasting and good performing wheel yeah they moved outside of austin which which is where i used to live but they moved there right after i left austin so it would have been cool to go visit and check it out next yeah. time i go there i will stop by and see if i can get a tour or something um i want to ask you Powerslide didn't really have a distribution network in the U.S. for a, a, quite a while. Um, I see it in more stores now. What's the status with like a distributor in the U.S. and getting more products into the U.S.? Uh, yeah, that's always has been. You know, the U.S. is never easy for a European-based company. Uh, so back in the glory days, you know, we for USD we had a Big Dan distribution, which was Scott Walker. And, you know, he had Second Regime and all the other brands, too. So that was really working well. And once the market was really hard, you know, he had to stop and was not enough money anymore to be made. And then we tried with different people for, you know, for speed and stuff like this. And uh, since some years, basically, we, we decided we ship from Europe directly to some of the shops. So, you know, if it's like, you know, Oak City intuition and uh, inline warehouse roller warehouse all these guys uh, we ship basically directly from germany and we have a distributor for for roller skates which is ruby roller sports uh, luke who was working for antique before rydell so he's handling this and he has a distribution uh, there so and then you know we are have with with this royal we are working now with, with billy and, and frankie basically for the US side. And so hoping they getting more and more into distribution. And yeah, Billy is more than willing to do it and you know, try to build something up as we spoke before in the LA area. So this is something we try and want to support you. So, but it's never easy as a European based brand to be good in the US because you know, US prices are always quite, you know, competitive i would say because almost all the brands are sitting in the us and if you have using a distributor who needs to make his margin and pay all the freights and then also you know we want to make a little bit on it then you know it's very hard to to split and for everybody to survive it's quite hard so not so easy at least you know billy's located at the port so that's going to help logistics wise <laughs> He had a quite, he said it was quite an experience and a learning curve for him for all this and the shipment, you know, it's like we decided to bring in some by air and it was like really, really, really expensive with his current logistic just for Christmas. And then he got it late, a lot of delays, and then it was raining when he had to pack it in the van and he's looking for a warehouse now and stuff like this. So it's like he said, yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve getting from a skater to a businessman and distribution. So, but he's, you know, down to learn it. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, what I did when we, with Nim, um, you know, handled all the logistics and you know, it was funny. You have so many different companies and every time you have to call them all because the prices vary so much, you know, one time one person's cheaper, one time another person's cheaper, you know, we get stuff picked up in LA or get it airmailed. But our very first skate we did was actually the, the Rat Tail Throne skate through yeah. you. Which it was, was an exciting release. It was an exciting release. Yeah, it was for me. It was really cool because you know, uh, Shima, you know, was one of the best skaters on USD, and this was it's probably one of the 
you know, when you look back, what I regret or stuff when he was leaving UST was quite uh, one of the things I regret most to let him go. And I remember he was asking, you know, for not a huge raise. I think it was three, four hundred dollars or what. But at this time, we were really struggling and had the banks at our ass. So we really couldn't, you know, cut it and finance it. So we had to let him go. And it was really something where I said, oh, he was an awesome skater already. And, you know, it was sad to see him go. So when you guys made the NIM skate first, it was quite something cool to have, you know, seeing you guys or, you know, Shima back there. And, you know, he's still, he's one of the guys I really admire and he had a bad luck, you know, with, with all his project, I think. And, but uh, I think when, you know, Billy was talking to him and he was saying to Billy, you know, whatever you guys do, don't go directly to China, you know, ask, uh, ask Andy from Razor or ask Matthias. So, so he knows what he's doing. So it's like, yeah, and I wish he would be back in the industry too. And, you know, his, his accident was really sad. And, you know, he's definitely one of the guys, you know, I, I regret, you know, that he left the team for sure. Yeah, looking back, you and Brian falling out was definitely an unfortunate event. Didn't that happen during the ASR trade show in San Diego? Yeah, it was. You know, we had his skate basically ready. And then, you know, it became the bomb skate, not the Shima skate anymore. And so, yes, it was yeah, was a little bit where, you know, sometimes, you know, looking back for sure, there are some mistakes where you said, I should this, I should have not made it. I, you know, I, whatever. Yeah, well, it's a uh, learning, I have learning. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm sure you're still learning all the time, right? I'm learning all the time. And that's, you know, when Billy came also, you know, when Billy was all the team, he was, we were not always on the same opinion. And he was one of the guys who was heading with me, but he was always the guy who was talking it and speaking it out the problem and saying it and, you know, uh, being the guy standing, you know, for it. And, you know, even he was not the team manager, but he was a guy saying, hey, this, we need to change and this and that. And, you know, for sure, there's always, you know, two sides of the story. And a lot of times he was correct. But, you know, sometimes when when business is tough, you just cannot do it. And, you know, it's it's harder. Yeah. And yes, you know, business changes. You know, if you're starting now a business, it's totally different than 20 years ago. Before, as you know, you had your, you only had your one supplier, you had your shops. And, you know, if something is not functioning, then you are dead, basically. Now you have so many chances with the internet, the social media selling everywhere. You know, you have Kickstarters and stuff like this. And before there, if you have no money and no sales network, you're done. So it's a uh, business changed quite a bit. And I think that's, it's a little bit more easier than, you know, 20 years ago. And, but also more challenges, especially for a company like us who has always been, you know, in the same system where you know we always you know do what we do we are distributors selling you know from the supplier to us to the shop and now seeing you know more and things go directly and you know so yeah it's a it's a learning curve for us still and you have to be open-minded other than letting go of shima is there anything else you regret or wish you would have done differently at the time uh, well, looking back for sure, there's a, a lot of little mistakes and you butt head with, you know, with different skaters and you'd say, oh, shit, there was a Kelso story and this. And, you know, looking back, I guess, you know, we still, uh, you know, we talk, they, they mail and, you know, it's all, it's all over. Even you butt headed back in the day, uh, you know, now it's all good. And they already, basically both sides always said, you know, Matthias, I was wrong a little bit there and I go, 
you know what, I was wrong there too. So it's like, you know, there's always two sides of the story and it's the truth is always in the middle somewhere. And so for sure, you know, there's for sure regrets. And it's like the regrets, I think, you know, it's like, I never could do always everything I wanted. Uh, was it, you know, from the decision for the company? Uh, was it, you know, money situation or whatever? So it's like, you know, sometimes you always regret, but looking back, it's, yes, I would do some stuff differently, but I still think most of the stuff was okay. And now, you know, I'm older and hopefully a little bit wider. I, I'm hoping I can do it better and, you know, give back some of this stuff, you know, I learned from it. And that's what I said in the beginning. That's why I, I really enjoy the projects with Disroy, with all the, the skaters and trying, you know, to to give something back and teach these guys a little bit and then, you know, can, you know, fulfill my dream. And, you know, for me, you know, being a skater, I want to see skating growing. I want to see skating big and, you know, and there is a lot of great talents right now in the industry. And I think, you know, we need them just all together, you know, driving for the same aim. And then, you know, skating has a, a bright future. And there's a lot of, you know, new things coming, 3D printing and a lot of cool guys and, you know, new projects. And so a lot of things going on. And I think that's, you know, really positive. What's the top three countries right now with the biggest markets for skating for you guys? Uh, I think, uh, because we are German based company, I think our biggest company, our biggest country is still Germany, actually. Uh, then USS, USA is really good. And then, uh, as a, as a country, it's, uh, Holland is really a strong country for skating, especially in COVID. It was actually the first country to explode. And they have a great skating history, you know, from, from the ice skating and stuff like this. So Holland has been great, but yeah, it's a lot of, you know, Poland stepping up, you know, Spain being good. France always have been good, you know. Denmark is a good country because, you know, they have now, you know, with Skate Pro being there, you know, really focused inline company there too. So it's like... Uh, but uh, you can see it growing actually everywhere. You know, Asia was doing well and, you know, South America stepping up many, many countries. So the nice thing was with COVID, you can see skating evolving around the globe. And even like in Africa, you know, step by step, you know, you have, you know, countries coming and asking for stuff and buying some stuff. So it's like a, you can see, you know, skating is really worldwide right now, almost everywhere. Yeah, through Instagram and Facebook, I've seen skating get really popular in a lot of countries where it's never been popular before. It's really exciting to see how big it actually is now around the world. I want to move on to counterfeit products. How big of a problem is counterfeiting for PowerSlide? It's quite big and it's getting bigger. And, you know, with the Internet, you have, you know, Alibaba selling everywhere. And definitely you have a lot of companies from China on Alibaba who are selling, you know, basically copied stuff, which is sometimes hard to see what it is. You know, if you talk about a meta wheel, the, they look almost exactly with it. And then we, we get the claim and say, hey, the meta wheels is really bad and it's really slow. And then you find out, you know, there's one little print is different and or 
the print is actually good. <laughs> so wanting to find out with the original matter wheel, you know, the print from USA, it's not so chemical like in China. So the print is coming off actually more easily than it does with a China copy wheel, but frames, boots and everything is being copied. So there's, yeah, in, especially in China, the, I would say, you know, even talking to these companies, they don't feel bad they copy your stuff. They basically say when we copy your stuff, it's a comp compliment for your brand. Because if we would not copy your stuff, you would not be a good brand. So they actually don't see it as a bad thing, but they feel it like, okay, we're doing something for the brand and we're doing something good. So it's a little bit different thinking that you know people around the world would have, but it's it's definitely getting bad, especially you know, when you know Alibaba. Oh, I lost you. Hello. All right, welcome back. Sorry about that. My internet just stopped working. I live kind of in the middle of nowhere. So it looks like my mouth is not syncing up. That could have been our internet too. So we are also not in the biggest city <laughs> in the world. Um, so anyway, you had said that Alibaba was kind of the big uh, place where people are getting into counterfeited products from. and. Yeah. That's something that you really can't do anything about, is it? No, not really. It's it's basically out of control. It's like uh, uh, basically the we even try to went after some companies in China. You know, we have a China distributor. She's also one of our producers, and she really you know takes care about the brand. And she tried to suit some of the companies, and they just closed down and opened under different brand or a different name at the same address again. And, you know, in China, it's quite easy to get around. So the legal system there is not quite advanced, I would say. So if you want to cheat, you cheat. I mean, how many products do you think they're making? They have to be doing quite a bit if they're, you know, doing it in factories, right? I mean. Yeah, it's quite a bit. And it's not, you know, it's not just power slide. It's, you know, it's a lot of different brands they're copying. And, you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's their system, I think, you know, they, they don't need to do the development for it. They, you know, right now it's, everything is quite easy to do. You, you take your skate, you 3D scan it and, you know, off you go basically. So it's like, you know, way easier than, you know, 20 years ago. So it's like, and for sure, they always try to have uh, the newest shoes and the newest skates. And yeah, you know, we have close to where we produce in our factory, it's Charmaine, which is a, European, you know, old colony from Portugal and, you know, an hour away, it's a big shoe company and big shoe city where there are a lot of shoes are produced and there's a, a market where, and you go basically in two weeks after Nike and Adidas, they release shoes, basically you can get the copies there. So it's like quite impressive how fast and, you know, they copy, you know, the look, the materials for sure. It doesn't, you know, the cushion is not the same and the outsole is not the same. It looks 100% the same, but it doesn't feel the same. So, uh, yeah, so it's crazy, yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine uh, just like, you know, some guys are sitting around, they're like, oh, let's take the skate and try to make a bunch of money <laughs> off of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why, you know, one of the reasons also we try to make difficult stuff like Aeons and stuff like this, so it's not so easy to copy and people really need to invest some money to do it. So it's like, you know, stuff like this is preventing a little bit from getting copied, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, which is, you know, aluminum frames, you know, these are much more easier to copy than, you know, 
really bigger injection molds where they also need to invest and not knowing if it will be the you know the deal break or hit and you know whatever of all the products you made throughout the years what are you the most excited about which one is like your favorite ha huh, it's it's hard to say i would say it's between uh the aeon for sure it's one of the exciting projects and then i would say also you know trinity with 100 with a big wheels with a you know three wheels so this combination trinity with three wheels and the aeon these are like the exciting projects i would say yeah those are both uh very cool projects and have been really successful so they've been both yeah. you know you guys did a great job on those i want to know like where do you get all your energy and inspiration and motivation that you have to be part of skating for so long well it's i don't know it's you know, when, when I was young, you know, when you're a skater, you're competitive, basically, and you want to win. So, and for me, it's like, you know, maybe speed skating is, you know, you always train and you try to win a race. So it's like, and when you're not winning a race, you know, you make a mistake or you're not in shape or you didn't train hard enough. So for me, it's like, you know, business is similar like sports or racing, you know, when you when you get your ass kicked, you know, it's, you know, for some reason, maybe you didn't work enough, you didn't work hard enough, you didn't listen enough, you know, you know, you made too many mistakes. So it's very similar like sports. So you need to, you know, come back, train harder, work harder, you know, get to back to the drawing board. And, you know, when, when I started uh, with a business, I, you know, was quite in contact with Tom Peterson, who was the owner of Hyper. And he was a speed skater, world champion, and he was a guy like, you know, having energy like a, a Duracell, I would say, you know, like always like, and he was like a really crazy guy and, but also supportive, you know, for us to start. So I learned quite a bit from him. And, you know, I think, yeah, you need energy and passion for it. And, you know, and yeah, that's what it makes. You know, it's, it's also, I think it's different when you have your hobby as your job. It's not really that you, you feel like, like you're working every day so hard because it's still like yeah some stuff is shitty to do and you know i don't like to be whatever problems with you know production or problems with logistics or you know financial things but yeah you know there's exciting parts you know talking to the team new development and new ideas so it's like you know every day is something which excites you so to be honest after all over 25 years every day i come in the morning and i start quite early like 6 30 and I'm pretty excited about the day and I'm, you know, what about the emails and what's new and, you know, what's coming. And, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's like, I think you need to have the energy and I think the perfect thing for somebody, whatever it is, you know, if you have passion and enjoy your job, then, you know, you should do it. And I have a lot of friends who say, well, you know, I don't like my job, but I still, you know, do it since, you know, five years I go, how can you go to a job you're not enjoying? And, you know, I cannot imagine it, you know, it's like when you do it, what you have passion for, you don't feel it as your job and it's more like your hobby really. And so that's, I think the great thing for me, I can combine my hobby, my passion with, with the work. And you know, that's, you know, the good that's thing. That's amazing. That's, I think I could for everybody, for all the people, if it's a skater or not skater, do whatever you think it's, you know, you have passion for and don't go after the money or, you know, whatever I think. You know, life is short enough and you spend so much time at work that, you know, you should always do what you enjoy. Yeah, that is great advice. I believe everyone should follow your passions. We did that with Rattel. 
we wanted to have a skater owned brand and we did that. And I know skater owns kind of a big thing within our discipline of skating. Now that power slides hundred percent owned by you, that makes Mesmer, Disroyal, USD, Gauze, everything really skater owned brands now. How does it feel to be fully skater owned? Well, yeah, it, it feels good. It feels good. And that's, well, it's like, it's always seemed, you know, good. I guess skater on the brand, it's more recognized. Maybe it comes from aggressive skater because aggressive skaters may be more accepted in the industry, like a speed skater. But uh, like I said, this changed too. And uh, yeah, it, you know, it feels good to be a skater owned company and to make their own decisions and, you know, uh, try to, you know, help the industry and bring the industry forward. And, but I think, like you said, there's a lot of cool brands out there and a lot of, you know, skater brands driven and to be doing amazing job. And, you know, and uh, like I said, trying to bring more skaters into the whole mix and, you know, for the future to have a, you know, good future for skating. So, but yeah, it feels good. And, you know, but I have to say, there's also a lot of other companies, like even like Rollerblade, when you look at them, they are like more corporate, but they still always, you know, coming back and, doing something for the sport, promoting the sport, you know, having teams and, you know, bringing out new products. So even, you know, the bigger brands or roaches, whatever, they all do, you know, trying to do their best. And, you know, even they are not skater owned, but I think they all realize that the, the skaters are important and the, the, the core, everything should circle around other skaters and, and not the companies. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I have one last question for you, and that's this. What about inline skating do you love so much that you've stuck with it all these years and dedicated your life to the sport? I think it's different things. It's like when you ask me what I, when I skate myself, you know, if you're alone and skating, you know, speed skating, for sure, it's like, you know, it's kind of the combination of the speed, which a little bit the thrill going downhill, you know, you can go super fast and there's a little bit of an energy kickback and, but still, you know, like the flowing movement also where, you know, you, you're just rolling at super high speed. You could pass, you know, all the bikers going almost full and you still be with them or can pass them on skates. So it's a, it's a feeling of freedom. And still then when you're not looking at, uh, you know, speed skating or skating fast, skating is everything. You know, you can, aggressive skating is all the thrills. You jump down, it's, you know, it's, it's adrenaline, it's, you know, jumping on a rail, slamming, bailing, stand up again, do it 10 times and, you know, trying to win. And hockey is, you know, the feeling of a team spirit, winning together, scooting, scoring, shooting and, you know, hitting and blocking. And so it's like, you know, when you look at freestyle skating, you have the slalom skating, you have, you know, all the crazy wizard skating and all the moves and, you know, the slides and so, it's basically, you know, you can find everything in skating, what other sports has to offer all together. So, you know, and this is the excitement. It's from team sports to individual sports, the feeling of freedom to, you know, just be, you know, somebody special on wheels. So I think that's, yeah, skating combines so many things in one. Yeah, it's an amazing sport. It uh, has a beautiful group of people involved with it. I really appreciate everything you've done for not only aggressive inline skating, but speed skating and urban skating and slalom skating, like you've embraced it all and helped it all grow. So I appreciate that. And I really want to thank you for joining me on this episode of the Then and Now Blading podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. 
And I really do wish you the best in 2022. And I hope everything works out. And I look forward to seeing all these new products and innovations you come out with. Thank you. And uh, I only can give it back, you know, people like you being stuck in the industry so long and contributing to it and even not making a ton of money with it, but, you know, being there and pushing it forward in the good and bad times, you know, that means something. That means, you know, they're the passion is at the right place and that's the people we need. So yeah. thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to coming back to Europe, you know, when everything is normal again and visiting and hopefully maybe you'll have a skate park by then which would be awesome oh, okay i will push <laughs> on this one <laughs> yeah okay. so anyway i'll talk to you soon take care take care know. yep all right that was a lot of fun catching up with matthias it's been a while since we've talked face to face we covered a lot of topics in this interview i hope it was able to answer some questions you might have had about power side and disroyal and i hope it was informative if you did enjoy this episode, make sure and hit the like button, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already, and hit the bell icon to be notified of all new uploads. Leave any comments you have in the comments area below, and if you did like this video, share it with your friends, get it out there, help me promote it if you want. I have links to my social media below, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I also have a link to my Patreon page, where as little as $3 a month, you can become a supporter of this channel and have exclusive video content not available on YouTube, and you'll also have access to all the videos that are on YouTube ad-free, which is pretty rad. Anyway, thanks for watching episode 12 of the Then and Now Blading podcast with Matthias Knoll. We will see you at episode 13 coming soon.